Have I done that? But do as much as I. But but that's a, but that's a great night today. I'm going to share with you a Bible verse here. Looking here in our Bible to Romans chapter two. So if you want to remember, if you want to turn there in your Bible, the Bible be the inspired, infallible, and errant Word of God. We really don't want to know my opinion. We want to know what God's words has to say, and hopefully understand it and agree with it. That's that's all I'm going to do with you here today. So now, and I've, if you noticed. I normally go through Romans here with you when I come here. I just go verse by verse through Romans. And today we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 8, 9, and maybe 10 if we have the time. So last time I sort of, uh, you know, rehearsed this. I rehearse my sermons. I say them in the mirror sometimes or whatever. But So it took about an hour to get through this. That's a little exaggerate, not that long. But uh, I'll, I'll try to be careful of the time. But we're looking here, Romans chapter 2. And we've gone up through, through verse 7, and today I want to talk to you about Romans chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. Hopefully we get to 10. So uh, if we look in Romans chapter 2, verse 8, uh, if you want to look at this in the Greek language, tois di ek erases, and it goes on, no sense re- reading that. Does anybody here fluent in Greek? No sense doing that, right? Uh, but it can help you a little bit. Okay, so, but we're going to find here Romans 2, 8, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. The sentence goes on. We'll look at the rest of it. I just want to stop there and sort of take that apart for a while. And I want to just start off with this premise. As you already know, the Bible is a book of truth. Right? If we want to know truth about God, about your universe, about you, about us, we want to consult God's holy word because it is a book of truth. The scripture tells us that it's, it's alive. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is a, a sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, either dividing asunder of soul, spirit, joint, and marrow. It's the discerner and thoughts of the heart. Think about that. If you, sometime you want to analyze this. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and what the scripture says about itself. It's a discerner and thoughts and tents of the heart, of your human heart and my heart. This, the word of God knows it. <laughs> and that's why we want to study it and understand it and comply with it, because it knows what's going on in your mind right now. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on in your mind right now. So when you hold up the word of God, 1,189 chapters in here, 31,102 verses, 788,280 words, 3,556,480 letters in your King James Bible. It's a lot of information, but that's why we want to study it, memorize it, thy word, what the Bible says, thy word, have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So question, I'm getting off track here, but I'm on this, you've got a little roll here. Now, how many of you here have a time of, or a plan to memorize scripture? <clears throat> Are we doing that? Are we memorizing God's word? You should be doing this. And, and there's nobody worse in memorizing than me. But if I can memorize them, and I can, and, and here's, let me give you a challenge. I know you probably memorize, like I memorized Hebrews 4, 12, that I could share that with you. Uh, but, and we all have our favorite verses that we memorize. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, John 3, 16, etc. And that's good. But let me give you a challenge to memorize a chapter. Memorize large sections of God's word. And that takes some time, but it's a real blessing to be able to... And when do you do this? As you're driving the car or as you have time? You know, let God's word 
go in, into your mind and memorize verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 1. Go through the chapter. And um, I think that can be a real blessing to you. So, and, of course, we're talking here about the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, the Holy Bible. That's what I'm going to talk about. Ecclesiastes says about itself, about the Bible. It, it says there's a time to celebrate, there's a time to grieve. You know, there's, there's a time to do this, and there's a time to do that. And I'd like to say to you that there is a time for negativity. Now, years ago, there was a, there was a preacher on the radio. It was really good. Very, he's so good. I, I could not even begin to be one-tenth of what this guy, this preacher was. He's, still, he's probably still preaching. But he said something that, that really pretty much startled me. He had a pastor's conference, so I went to it. And someone asked, well, now, how, how can you explain your preaching? It's so well-received and so effective. How can you explain this? And he thought for a while, and he said, you know, I do my best to try to keep everything positive. My, spe- my pre- sermons are arranged in such a way that it's always positive in thought. And I'm thinking, hmm. I, personally, I didn't like that response. Because certainly there are many positive thoughts in God's word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that it might not sin against thee. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. These are all you know, wonderful promises. But there's also negativity in God's word. There's a lot of negativity in God's word. And if we're just preaching the positive, or if I'm going to try and bend the verse to make it positive, that's not my job. My job is to present the word. And there are times when it's offensive, and, and there's times you may even disagree with it, but at least... The job is to present the Word of God and then to let the Holy Spirit do its number on you. You know, as we read God's Word, it may bring us to repentance, may give us great joy, it does all kinds of things to us because it's the inspired, inerrant Word of God. So having said all that, saying this to get us ready for Romans chapter 2, verse 8, and, ex- and mentioned that, yes, there is some negative. This is a negative. Look, let me read this again. This is a negative verse, isn't it? Is it not? But unto them that are contentious. Talking about people that are contentious. And they don't obey the truth. But they, they obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. And it goes on. But I'm going to stop right here for a moment and, and uh, try to focus on this. So this is really, what, what would you say? It's a negative, negative principle here. So someone would, oh, you're being negative. Well, yeah, (laughs) the Bible's negative at times, and so this is a negative verse. How else can I present it without being negative? And so you see words like contentious, indignation, wrath, and as you go on, the next phrase says, but unto them. You see that phrase there? But unto them. And that's referring to the unbelieving world. All these people are contentious and hostile and all of this, it's, it's making reference to these people. And what about these people? It says they're contentious. And that word contentious is erethes. And uh, it means to be, uh, to, to be self, a kind of self, it's a, referring to a kind of self-seeking or self-fulfillment or self-centeredness is what that word means, that the contentious, those that are contentious. They're self-seeking, and they are, they're self-centered. And this text that we're looking at goes on to say, and what else about them? They do not obey the truth. Aletheia, the word truth. They do not obey the truth. And what is this meaning? 
They, they have God's Word, but they do not... They may have God's Word. They may even hear it, may even think about it, but don't obey it. They might memorize it, but they don't obey it. The people in this text, not everybody, but what this text is talking about, they have God's Word, they know, but do, do not obey it. Of course, that situ- of course, you know, I don't know... I don't know hardly any of you really personally, but maybe someone here has that problem. You read the Bible, you can, you can read it, you can quote it, but you don't obey it. Maybe you have a problem obeying it. Or maybe you obey all of it except this little part over here. You know, we all go through those things. So think about that. And it may be speaking to you. I know it speaks to me many times. They do not obey the truth. And this can be, and I'm sure this is a problem within churches in general. You have a congregation who love the Lord, who are saved, but yet there's little aspects over here. They sort of ignore this part over here because the Spirit of God wants to speak to you about a particular issue, so you sort of shy away from it. Well, that's what we have in here. They do not obey the truth. So, by the grace of God, that does not refer to us. Hope it doesn't, that you know the truth, but you don't obey it. Now, that's the problem. It's one thing not to know it. It's another thing to know what the truth is and to ignore it or, or you know, be disobedient. But here we have in our text, in this verse, in Romans chapter 2, verse 8, people who know the truth, but they sort of reject it. And as I'm putting this together, I'm thinking, you know, that reminds me a lot of, of America. You know, we are a Christian nation, but you know, right now, I think our country is really in a mess. We tend to be, of course, on our leadership, is leading us away from God's word. And there will be a high cost for this if this continues on. By the grace of God, maybe the Lord will, I don't know, send a revival, send something or someone to change the direction of our country. But as I see it, we're heading quickly to some real serious problems unless the Lord does something. Maybe send us a revival, arouse his church to do something to bring us back to righteousness and holiness. But by rejecting the truth, what happens when we reject the truth? When the churches reject the truth, as was mentioned in Sunday school, which was very, very good Sunday school class, these things are happening in our churches. The church is neglecting the truth or twisting the truth, attempting to be popular or maybe acceptable. Uh, but praise God, the Bible Presbyterian Church and denomination stands for the word of God. And if that means you get rejected, so be it. If that means people turn on you, so be it. Stand for the word of God. In fact, I think we can expect that. If you stand for God's word and don't compromise, you know, there'll be that faction of people who will, or they don't like this. They'll turn, turn from you and turn from the Lord and go where they can hear something they want to hear. Uh, but you want to follow God's word, follow the truth. And uh, here we're looking at this text here, the people are rejecting the truth, and, and when you reject the truth, you know what you do? You give credibility to superstition, which the Gentiles followed. You give credibility uh, to various inventions that the Jews followed. If you go back in the time of Jesus, the Gentiles had their issues, the Jews had their issues, which drew them away from the Lord and following him. We see today, but even in the day of Jesus as well, both the Jews and the Gentiles reject and mock the gospel. You see a lot of this taking place. They mock the cross, they blaspheme God, and they threaten the godly. And um, 
whenever I preach the word of God, especially on the street corner, you always have somebody who will sort of try to threaten you and give you a dirty look and get in your face and all this, but that's okay. We stand for the word of God. But often the word of God, preaching it, gets ridiculed and can get threatened. But that's okay. Do it anyway. And um, preach forth the word of God. Let me move on here, lest I get stuck on this little thought here. But let's move on. The next phrase we see in this text, but obey unrighteousness. How about that? So they don't obey. Here's what are they doing? First of all, they don't obey the truth. Okay, so they got God's word, but they don't obey it. Okay. Number two, but they do obey unrighteousness, you know, sin, sinful living, what have you, that which is contrary to God. Now, when we talk about obeying unrighteousness, you and I have three enemies in the world which will move us to obey unrighteousness. The three enemies that you face, the three enemies that I face, is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you have to know how to do spiritual warfare with these things, or they will lead you down, you know, lead you the wrong way. The world, coming from the word cosmos, meaning the organized, systematized way of, of the devil, really is basically what that means. That Satan has his way of influencing and leading people astray. And you have to be aware of this as a believer, because here you are, you're a Christian here, you're in church study, studying and, and worshiping the Lord. Wouldn't he love to get somebody here and get you distracted and get you discouraged? And next Sunday comes along, well, you know what, I, really don't, feel, I don't really need to go. I'll, I'll skip it this week. You know, and then the next week, you skip it, and then pretty soon, where's, where's Brother Bob? What happened to him? Well, I haven't seen him for a long time. And what happened? He gets sucked into the world and get, you know, who knows what's going to happen. These things occur. That's the world. But then there's the flesh that we have to deal with as well. And that word flesh comes from the word sarxis, sarx. And it means that part of you which is not saved. Now, we, we're saved, we believe in the Lord Jesus, but we're still in the, the Bible uses the word flesh. There is that part of us that still fights against the word of God, against Christ, against all that is right. There's always that desire to move forward in the areas of sin. And that's called the flesh. And the flesh never dies. It can be disciplined. That's what the Word of God tells us, to discipline our flesh. But it's always there. You're always going to have that. So learn. You must learn how. And that's why it's important for us to have devotions. It's important for us to be people of prayer, be in God's Word, because that flesh is always there, moving you towards sin. And that's why you have to fight this, because let's face it, all of us, we are sinners by nature and by choice. And sin can be what good. Therefore, you need to deal with these things and focus upon the things of the Lord. And the other thing that we struggle with, not only the world, the flesh, but of course the devil. Yes, there, you believe there's a devil? Yes. Scripture teaches about a devil. It's a real living creature. And he knows probably more about you than you think he knows. And he knows how to entice you and to discourage you or distract you. That's what he does. So those are the three things that we have to deal with, which, which leads us to obey unrighteousness. What's our text say? It's discussing the issue of unrighteousness. So these three things lead us to obey unrighteousness, the world, the flesh, and the devil. All right, let's move on here. And therefore, we become a slave of sin. And then we become vulnerable and blind to the conditions of, of the world. And we become part of the world system. 
But let me move on to another word or two. The next word we see here is the word indignation. You see that in your text? Indignation. Using, obviously I'm using here King James Word of God. And you know what I've looked at? You know, yet in this issue of the Bible, you got the New American Standard, you got <laughs> how many now? You got 10, 20 of them. It's ridiculous. But I have found over the years the best translation, the best volume of scripture you want to use is still the King James Bible. It's, as far as I can tell, I'm not a perfect Greek scholar, but I do know some things about it, and it's the most accurate to the Greek. Because you know the New Testament is originally written in Greek, so the translation you want to be very close to that Greek. And the, the best translation you have is the King James Bible. I will continue to recommend it, use it, and think about that. Gener Christians for generations have used and memorized and preached from the King James Bible. Anyway, using that then, I'm looking here at a word for indignation, and that is agaantio. And it means to grieve much or to be indignant. It means, oh, now here's a true story i got to tell you. I don't know if I have to tell you this because it makes me cry when I say it. I don't want to get up here and cry. <laughs> right. But I, I just, um, this word indignation. Um, I'm thinking of someone in my life as, as, as a kid growing up many, many, many years ago. And they, they, they lived this thing of indignation. As I study indignation and look at the Greek word and see how it's used, I'm th you know, my mind goes right back to this person. It was very prominent in my life. And I don't know how to say this, but they would just like explode. The way they handled problems was an explosion. There was no reasonable, reasonable discussion or trying to understand something, but bam, there's a great explosion. If something was said or not done the way, the way it should be done, you had all this tension. And now once you get somebody to explode in your house, the day is shot. And then you have a couple days of this, whew, very difficult to get. But that's what this word indignation means. Someone that explodes, and they do that. That's, just a, that's a technique to, to control. You know, they want to control you, so they act like a pure idiot, and, and then start swearing and yelling and threatening and that kind of thing. That's indignation. That's, this kind of th that's the word we have here. And, uh, and I, again, unfortunately, I'm very familiar with that, and I wish I wasn't familiar with it, but that's what it is. And it creates a total disaster wherever it is found. So we're dealing with this sin of indignation. And then there's another one here. In this ver word here, the word, you have the word orge, which is translated wrath. Again, these words are very similar. You know people that are always angry, or they're always on the verge of exploding. And that's a technique also, that you don't <laughs> bother them. So they'll always be on this verge of explosion so that they can get their way. And so again, something very closely Related to indignation is the word wrath, because it means anger, wrath, and, and indignation. But you know what? Now, again, the Bible, the wonderfully, God's word, what? It's a book of truth. It doesn't change nasty situations, but it also presents wonderful things as well. But if we go on in this text, we're going to get more, shall we say, difficult things to consider. Who wants to preach on this? I don't want to, but you know, it's my job to. If I'm a preacher of God's word, I take this thing verse by verse, and what's good, preach, 
What's negative preached, that's the job. If I am a topical preacher, which I can do, but I, I prefer to go this way. You know why? Because if you go verse by verse, you will hit topics you won't touch if you just choose topic. Topically, you just choose verses that you like, which is good. If you go verse by verse, that's what you call expository preaching. If you do this, then you're going to come across verses you would never choose to preach on because you don't like the subject, you don't know it well, or whatever. And I'm thinking, if I was just doing topically preaching, I would never preach on this verse. Although I wouldn't do the one we just did, and I wouldn't do verse Romans chapter 2, verse 9. Let's just focus on that for a moment. Here's more misery <laughs> to deal with. Tribulation, anguish upon every soul of man that does evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentiles. So this word tribulation comes from the word Philipsis, and it literally means pressing or pressure. You have pressure and something which is pressing upon you. Um, well, we're still in the middle of winter. I was going to say summer's coming. Well, that's a little bit off, but yet we, it will be coming. And we go swimming, and you go in the water. But what happens when you go into the water and you're under the water? You feel the pressure, right? The pressure of the water. And the deeper you go, the greater that pressure becomes. And that's what this word means here that we're looking in here. Uh, this word tribulation, it means pressure. And um, so it's just a good thing to be aware of there. It means that which burdens the spirit and causes distress. So this is another thing that we have to deal with as believers. Tribulation. The other thing we see here in this text is the word anguish. And that means an emotional narrowness of room. Calamity. Anguish or distress. Now, you know who is good in teaching on this? I don't know. He's not, he, he's not very prevalent anymore, but maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've read his books. <clears throat> That's a, a, a Christian psychologist. Now, you've got to be careful of them because a lot of craziness goes on underneath that. But sometimes there are one or two, I think, that may have something to share. So there was this uh, Christian psychologist, Clyde Narrowmore. I met him once, and... Um, you know, I was impressed with him. I had a good talk with him. So he was, a, he was a psychologist, but he believed the Bible. Now, the problem is this. When you come to a Christian psychiatrist or a psychologist, you want to find out what's their first authority, the psychology or the Bible. <laughs> and there is a difference. Some of them are like a psychologist, and they follow the principles of psychology and throw in a Bible verse every once in a while. That You want to stay away from that. But if you find someone who's a Christian psychologist or psychiatrist where the Word of God is first, and they may recite or some thought of a psychiatrist or something, that's an altogether different story. Anyway, so there was this man, I'm sure he's not preaching anymore, probably in heaven now. His name was Clyde Naramore, and he was very good on understanding Scripture and what the world calls psychology and understand how these emotional things affect our understanding of Scripture our relationship with others, and I found him to be very good. And I'm just saying this because maybe, maybe you delve in that area or you need information, so look up his name, Clyde Narramore, N-A-R-R-A-M-O-R-E. I think you'll find some interesting things there. Um, and, but, you know, also, in that whole area, if you want to get into that discussion, I don't want to go off on a tangent on this, but it is, it is um, important you want to know a lot of psychological, just get into the book of Proverbs, because Proverbs deals with it. 
All these things you'll see in Proverbs. Start to memorize Proverbs. Proverbs, the Song of Solomon and King of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the wise man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning, but a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel, to understand a proverb and the interpretation of the words of the wise, and on and on and on. That's Proverbs. But Proverbs, if you get into Proverbs, it gives you a lot of principles in understanding human behavior right from God's word. So again, talking here about this of indignation and tribulation and anguish. And these are nice words we're talking about here, but you know what? The Bible brings this up. I didn't come here with my own set of agenda and I'm going to talk about this. No, the Bible sets the agenda. Whatever the Bible has, then that's what I want to preach upon. So we're looking here. Anguish, but let's move on. The next phrase we say, goes on to say, upon every soul of man. These things... These things that come upon them, anguish, wrath, indignation, unrighteousness, contention. Now, see, I'm, I'm sure I'm talking to somebody here. These things come upon, at least threaten all of us from time to time. So Scripture's talking about it and get, in order to give you insight on it. Tribulation, anguish upon every soul of man, meaning mankind deals with these things, and we all deal with it from time to time. But what about these people? The next phrase, what? That does evil. That is to say, the, un, the, nat, the Bible calls it the natural man. That's the unsaved man. Now you are, I'm assuming all of you are saved. You know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, and you follow him. And you're a totally different creature. But those who don't know Christ, that's a real project. And, and here, that's what this, is, this text is talking about. The things that people struggle with who don't know the Lord, and they have all these things all over them, and moving them, as I said, one person they made rec- rec- reference to, under indignation and wrath. You have, and these are the people you bub shoulders with every day. These are the people you may go to work with every day. You have to spend eight, eight hours a day working with them. It's talking about these kinds of people. And there's many things we could say about it, but I just want to stay with the text at this point. What's the, look at the phrase we have here. That does evil... And who is this speaking about in particular? The text tells us who it's speaking about in particular. The Jew. <laughs> you see that in the scripture there? What's it say? Talking about the Jew. Not all Jews, but the, but the Jews is included. Of the Jew first. And let's just talk, stop for a minute and talk about the Jew for a minute. Because we're Christians, we have the Bible. And you know the Bible. Oh, I gave you all the statistics of the Bible. It's Jewish. You realize this. When we come here together, and I, my, my assessment is we're probably all Gentiles. If you're not, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And, and Scripture speaks of, the, of these two people, Jews and Gentiles. We, in sociology, we speak about all kinds of people, white, black, Asian, you know, etc. The Bible only mentions two, a Jew or a Gentile and then begins to teach us through that comparison. So I want to just say, just for some clarity's sake, what is it that you know? What do you understand about the Jew? Let me just throw a couple things out. You know this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We all understand that. That's the, that's the progenitors. That's the, the founders of what we call the Jew. We understand. I think you all understand it. Abraham, right? How God called Abraham. He was, he was the beginning of the Jew. Abraham his son Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. 
The Jew is a Semite person. They're under the classification of Semites. What's a Semite? A Semite is a person from Western Asia or Africa. They tend to be what, what the world organizes as Semitic people. They're Semites. Abraham was a Semite. He is called the father of many nations. You all know this. Abraham was a great leader and figurehead within Christianity. Although he was a Jew and never seen in the New Testament, although he's made reference of the New Testament. Genesis chapter 12. Consider this. I'm merely going to read this. Genesis chapter 12. And you all know this. And the Lord had said to Abram, which is Abraham. You understand that Abram, name was changed to Abraham. I think you all know that. The Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house into a land that I will show you. I think you all know this, right? Could you, what if you received that? In other words, pack up and get out of town. That's basically what he's saying. And I'm going to show you where to go. And you know, the scripture tells us, I don't know if it has it in this text I'm going to give you, but Abraham goes out not knowing where he went. You know, you know the Lord told Abraham, pack up and go. So Abraham packs up, and he's going. He's just going. He didn't know where he was going at first. But, you know, he knew the Lord would direct him. And I thought, I think it's a little funny, actually. It's amusing to see that. You go out not knowing where you went. That's, that's the way the word talks about Abraham. He went out not knowing where he went. <laughs> what I'm going to share with you here is Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And here's God's promise to Abraham. And by the way, you've got to know this. This is the heart and soul of the Bible. <laughs> the Abrahamic covenant. You really need to be, you know, we... we teach our people much of the New Testament, which is good. We also need to make an effort to know something of the structure of the Old Testament. And the one thing you really need to know is this Abrahamic covenant. So I'm just expounding on this right now. Verse 2, Genesis 12, 2. And God promised, I will make you a great nation. Speaking to the Jewish people, I'm going to make you a great nation. Up until this time, they weren't a great nation. I'm going to make you a great nation. And, I, and listen to these words. I will bless you. Turn this in your Bible. If you don't have it, turn and follow. This is important. We're talking here, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make you a great nation, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. Think about that. Why is America... Well, we're going downhill right now, but our, our history has been that we've been a great, powerful nation for many years. Why is that? Here's one reason why. We blessed Israel. And here is the promise. We're just reading, Gen what is it, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, or Genesis chapter 3, excuse me, Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless them that bless you, meaning I will bless the people that bless Israel. Whoever blesses Israel, I will bless I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. Oh, man, we could get into an interesting study there. And in thee, mean Israel, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, how is that? How does Israel bless all the families of the world? Jesus, coming through the line of the Jews. That's how the whole world is blessed through, 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 through the Hebrews, through 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 the presence of the Lord Jesus, giving a blessing to all really all the world. So that's one little thing. Then we could go on and spend a lot of time on Israel. And probably my guess is you don't, I know I don't, know and understand Israel as much as I should. 
to understand the Bible thoroughly, you really need to be familiar with the Jews and the nation of Israel, the history of it, because it really all comes from them. You understand that. And um, really, as you look in Scripture, the Gentile was like a second thought. Oh, the Gentiles. And, and um, so I'll comment on that in just a minute. But look at this. Let's talk about the Gentiles, because the next phrase is, and also the Gentiles. My guess is that's probably most of us. I don't know if, you, if you're from Hebrew descent, wonderful. <laughs> that's a great blessing. But so you have, again, by the Bible, the world is Hebrew and Gentiles. And in Scripture, the Hebrew was looked up upon, and the Gentile, you know, the Gentile was referred to as, a, as dogs. Did you realize that? Gentiles generally throughout the New Testament are looked, and also the Old Testament, as looked at as dogs. <laughs> and you'll see them referred to as that. All right, just want to let you know that. Also the Gentiles. So we know this, that if you are not a Jew, then you are a Gentile. Now, so that's all I'm going to tell you about the Jew and the Gentile, but there's a really a lot of study. You should really get into this to truly understand the Old Testament, which will help you then to understand the New Testament. However, I've said all I can say on this verse. Now I'm just going to say one or two words on verse number 10. Romans, and um, I want to look together in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 10, because now the subject's going to change. Up until this time, it was all negative. But you know what? Personally, that's what I really appreciate about the Bible. The Bible gives you both. It gives you blessings and encouragement, but it also gives you the bad news as well. Why? Because it's a book of truth. Thus far, we've seen pretty much negative stuff, information about the Jews. But look in verse 10. There's a sudden change. I'm just going to make reference in this, and then I'll close. Romans chapter 2, verse 10. But, but, now notice there's going to be a contrast introduced with the word but. It means there's going to be a change from what was just talked about. But glory, that's the word doxa, honor, timae, Peace to every man that worketh good. And then here's this phrase again. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And you see that phrase often in script, to the Jew first. Because, again, understand, the Bible is a Jewish document. You have to understand that. Now, we as Gentiles have sort of taken it over. But it is a Jewish document. The Old Testament, we know, is all Jewish. All the prophets, they're all Jewish. The apostles of the New Testament, they're all Jewish. This is all we as Gentiles have come into a Jewish understanding, a Jewish, I don't want to use the word philosophy, it's much more than that, but it is Jewish. <laughs> it's I, I, that's why we have to study it. So much of this is not natural to us. And so we are sort of, in a way, invading a, a Jewish culture. And so, and so we have this reference here about the Jew and the Gentile. Of this statement, by the way, let me just quote John Calvin quickly, have a few concluding concluding statements, because I know I probably said enough to, just enough to raise questions about the Jew to understand it, because it takes time. That's why you have seminaries, Bible colleges, to actually get into this. But it does, if you understand this issue between Jews and Gentiles, that it's going on in the Bible, it will really help you to understand difficult verses in the Bible. They're, it's made clear. But if you don't understand this tension, then, you know, some things would be more difficult to understand. John Calvin, I just got a small little quote here. Of this verse, he said, they have both the promises and the warnings of the law. They were talking about Israel. Israel had to, 
they had the law. The law was given to them, but with the law, there are great promises, but there's also warnings. <laughs> Obey the law, and you have great blessing. But you disobey the law, and you got big problems. Basically, that's what, what John Calvin was attempting to say here. But this is the beginning of the Jews spreading their culture, spreading the word, you know, literally, around the world. But that's how it begins. And that's the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Gospel, you know this, right? First Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel is what? Death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. If I'm not preaching Christ dying on a cross for my sins, I'm not giving you the gospel. I'm telling you nice Bible stories. You're getting good historical information, but you're not getting the gospel unless you understand that Jesus went to the cross for your rotten sins and for mine. And that he was buried into the ground and that he resurrected and was seen of witnesses. That's the gospel. And that should always be preached because that's what brings salvation. I don't know, I don't know all of you personally. I'm getting to know you, you know, as, as the times we've been here. And it's, I, we always look forward to coming here. I shouldn't bring this up because it's going to make me cry. Think of my wife, Vicki. You shouldn't have said this. But she always looked forward to coming here because she loved you people. This, this is a great kind. Con- I hope you realize what you have here. This is a great congregation. And believe me, I speak in different churches and I see different things. This is, when I say, we're coming here, I say, oh good, thank God, we look forward to coming here. It's a great congregation. God has, has his blessing on you. And that's a wonderful thing. Why am I saying this? Well, let me finish up here. A couple of words about the Jew and I'm going to conclude because basically that's what this is all about. You know today, the Jew is God's covenant people. Do you understand that? You understand the concept of covenant. That's key in the Bible to understand covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would be their God, they'll be his people, and he will bless them and so forth. But there's a lot more to it, but you need to know that. However, now think about this. Not only is the Jew God's covenant people, you know what God's covenant people is today? The church, which is comprised of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. That's the church, the ecclesia. When the Jews believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Gentile, remember Paul said, Lo, I go to the Gentiles. The Jew historically wouldn't receive the gospel. So what does Paul say? Lo, I go to the Gentile. And so then they heard the gospel, but you know what? The Gentile received it, unlike the Jew fought it all the time and argumentative and all that stuff. But when the, when the Gentile heard it, they, oh yeah, this is wonderful, we received the Lord. So we're finding now that the, the church today is comprised of the Jews who believe in Jesus Christ and the Gentiles who believe in Christ coming together and making one, one as, as the Bible calls it, one new man or one group, followers of the Lord Jesus. Jews and Gentiles coming together, believing in Christ. That's the church. Now, if I were to ask, are there any Jews here today? Probably not. That's my guess. I don't know. And so we, we really miss out on a lot of this. Now, there are Jewish churches, you realize. A, a church that teaches doctrine like we do, and it's comprised of Jews. And I know there used to be one in Philadelphia. And, um, the Jew, and, and you know, here's another thing. Let me I'll conclude with this. But if you discover a Jew who has Jesus as his Savior you have somebody that's turned on for Christ. <laughs> this guy will witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, study his Bible, and be a great witness. They're out there. There are those Jews out there who have received Christ. They take communion. They're water baptized. 
And, and they have Hebrew blood in them, but they know Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. Find some of them. You'll run into it. If you go downtown or a different place, just keep witness. You'll find, you'll come across Jewish people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a Jew realizes that Jesus is his Messiah, oh man, you've got somebody turned on. And it's an exciting thing to watch. And so that's uh, what we conclude here in our thoughts about the Jew and, and the verse that we have here. So wrapping this whole thing up, let me just say this. We began with the statement, but unto them which are contentious. Remember, it all started back there. But unto those that are contentious, and we went through all that. And now we conclude with our final phrase here, but glory, honor, and peace unto them that follow the Lord. And so we learn here of the Jew and of the Gentile. Again, nothing more beautiful than when the Jew and the Jew and the Gentile coming together, faith and... But you see, the Gentile also had to leave his... You say, well, the Jew had to leave some of the ordinances of Judaism. That's true. But the Gentile, he had to leave his habit of idol worship. You see, the Gentiles were idol worship, just as bad and false religion as the Jew. The Gentile worshipped idols. <laughs> that was their history. So for a Jew to get saved, he's got to leave the idols and come to Christ. For a Jew to get saved, he has to leave their false doctrine and come unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So they all have to leave all this and come into Christ. And, that's, and then that's what the church is. The Gentile coming together in faith, the Jew coming together, making, as the Bible calls it, one new man. And, um, and that is what we call the ecclesia, or translated into English, the church. And that's what we are. And it's a beautiful thing, by the grace and mercy of God. One other thing, and I will conclude with this. We talk about the grace and mercy of God. Now, how about the grace and mercy of God on you, on you and on me, that he would have you to be a believer in the Lord Jesus? You could be walking out here in the street, lost, confused, angry, and ruining your life. But you know what? The Lord called you out of that. For the, Remember the scripture talks about those who are called. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Remember that? And that's what you are. If you believe in Jesus, you are the language of the Bible. You are the called. And that's a special recognition on you. He's called you. And when, when the Lord calls you, that call is effectual. It is irresistible. You, you will come. If the Spirit of God calls you to Christ, you will come. There's no such, no, I don't want to, I don't want, none of that. <laughs> when the Lord calls, you're there. <laughs> and isn't it wonderful? You believe in the Lord Jesus as your Savior. There was a point in time when he called you, and you answered it, and, and here you are, part of a local church, in love with the Lord Jesus, having a bright future. Think about this. Think about your future. Think of all the promises that are here in God's holy word that apply to you. So don't let the world, the flesh, and the devil discourage you, because they will if you let them. Keep your focus on God's word and on his promises. And one I like is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Isn't that beautiful? And you see that word strengthen, that makes an implication though. An implication it implies there's going to be a battle. <laughs> but that's okay. Wage a holy warfare for the Lord Jesus. Be bold in the gospel. Live for him. Turn from sin. Be in your word. And gain the victory. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to say thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you. Here is an, an assortment of people. And who knows what our background is and things where we've messed up and things we've been very successful with. Just this group that you brought together. It's a beautiful thing, oh Lord. 
Thank you for bringing us and let us, letting us be part of this and um, help us to, to, to continue to merge together as one unit for the glory of God. Thank you for this day. We thank you for the word of God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, O Lord. When we know we deserved hell and damnation, yet you put your selective choice upon us and drew us irresistibly unto yourself. We love you, and here we are. So we want to say thank you for bringing us together. And let me now give the benediction. And now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen.